Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. olive wood and the cedar wood and all these things and getting all the gold when they're doing all this in the order of contractors and subcontractors in this massive project he would know in the morning when he got up hero israel the lord our god is one he could say the shema you know he could all that stuff he had it he could ask the priest to come every day like lord bless thee and keep thee be gracious unto thee he had all that but you know if you if you've ever been grinding in a major project again let's say you went back to college and in the midst of all that there's times when the lord might give you a word and that's my point here like god came to him with a specific word and and whatever you might be in a task it's a larger task it seems like this is never going to end you know let the lord come speak to you we know you got the law like solomon we know you can read the shema every morning but isn't it nice when the word of the lord comes to you and says hey i got a word for you just stay on track Don't get discouraged. Don't check out because of this professor or because of this boss or whatever. Stay on track. I'm with you. Just walk in my ways. Keep my statutes. Just that that reaffirming word that God gives you sometimes when you really need it. That's why we're told in 1 Corinthians 14, that prophecy in the New Testament sense, when someone speaks a prophetic word, it's, it's edifying, it's encouraging, and it's comforting. That's like this, what we call the spoken word. We have the written word, but then you get that spoken word that always is confirmed by the written word, but it's just like fresh manna, as we'd say. Like, it just has a fresh fire for our souls. And when it's spoken, it strengthens our souls. Because when you're grinding in a major project, your soul can become weary. You can be like the psalmist in a dry and thirsty land, panting as a deer panteth for the water. Jesus, of course, his ministry, he had a beginning, going back to that first point, he had a beginning. We're told in the Gospels, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Like when he went to go get baptized by John, that's the beginning of Jesus being introduced to us. That's when he began his ministry for our salvation. But then he went into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And when he was grinding with the devil after 40 days of fasting, how did he engage the devil? With the word of God. What was his strength at his weakest point in his humanity? The word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written three times. Then throughout the three years of ministry that Jesus had, with just the wear and terror of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, just never, they just never relented. Plus the frustration of the apostles not learning lessons. It's like, oh, where's your faith? You know, like, where is your faith? And he would, you almost miss it, but there's many times in the Gospels where Jesus is frustrated with the apostles because they're not getting what he expected them to get. And even when he's in the tomb and then out of the tomb, his enemy said, he said he's going to rise. They didn't do that. And who was there that morning? The women were there. So the frustration of trying to raise up and knowing Judas is going to betray you in the humanity, because if we read in Jesus, he sighed in his spirit. Our redemption is very costly. And there was some grinding going on for Jesus as a savior. And yet he always did those things that pleased the father. He had the word. 
He had the word of God. He had the word as it is written, and he had that sweet fellowship with the Father during his earthly ministry where it would come alive by the Spirit. Because remember, the Spirit came upon him. So when we're grinding, we have to remember who we're grinding for and why. We're grinding for Jesus. It's a major project. It's arduous. It's difficult. It's frustrating. But we're doing it for the Lord, and that's why we're doing it, and he's going to get the glory. I was thinking about when Calvary Chapel bought Marietta Hot Springs. And I know, I think it's an ESCO right now to sell. But that's, this is a different generation. There was a wonderful run there at that, that place. And in the 90s, that, you know, the Calvary Board of Directors bought that facility. It was totally run down from what it was in the 30s and the 40s as a resort. And they did all that stuff. And think of the grinding, like contractors, the, the, the city council. and every, When there's money, everyone wants the money, particularly politicians. And think of the plumbing you had to do with all the sulfur springs, the electrical work, all that stuff. And what we know now that I never thought much about is in 20 years, it starts to break down again, right? But the Calvary Board, Pastor Chuck, they fought through that and they got that thing done. And some of you enjoyed women's ministry events there. Some of you enjoyed retreats there, men's conferences. Some of you enjoyed pastor's conferences and whatever the, by the way, Little known fact, if you ever walked in that main sanctuary, there was a dove made of bricks. Those, those were our bricks, me and Jennifer's bricks. The house we bought in Costa Mesa had original bricks on the back porch. The guy who did work to replace that, he was a good friend of Chuck's, and they were redoing the entryway, and they took our bricks. And so I'd go out there every time and go, like, this is my bricks, man. This is my bricks, boy. <laughs> who knows what they are now or where they are now, but you know what? They served their time. We don't have to worry what happens after we're gone. We pass the baton, the next generation, can, they got to figure it out with the Lord like we're figuring out with the Lord. But the point being is, the word of the Lord comes to us in our grind, and it's a source of comfort, and we should receive that comfort. We stand on the word when we're doing the great project, and we're frustrated, and we've got these things going. It's the who we're doing it for and why, for the kingdom, and we find a way, and we just keep going forward. That's what Jesus did. He, you know, we're told in Luke 9, he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. And when we got a grand task to do, get it done with our face like flint toward Jerusalem. The third thing we see is in the next chapter, in chapter 7, in verse 51, it says, So the work, all the work of King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Hey, he finished. Again, I mentioned at the beginning of this day that there's a start, stop. You know, it's a seven-year project. It's easy for us. It's like Tuesday night, it took 55 minutes to do the study, and we read about what happened in seven years. To the details of the design, the woodwork, the artistic, all that stuff, we read it. But there comes a point where the work is finished. There's a point when it's done. But there's a, a completion. There's even hopefully a day where you shake hands with your contractor and say, thanks, man, great job. There's no more work to be done. And if you've got a problem with the lights a year and a half later, that's your problem. So call a light person, right? Or if it's a plumbing, you call Devin. Sorry, Devin. But, uh, you know, like... They did the job, they finished it. You do the job, you finish it. It's completed. When Paul the Apostle, with his missionary journeys, they were somewhat open-ended, but there was completion because when he went out, he would come back from, and he always was on the Jewish calendar, Passover, Pentecost. So he had, he had incremental goals on his journeys and where he wanted to be, and he'd come back and report to the church in Antioch all that God had done. And in a sense, that's when he sealed the fruit of those journeys. That project was done. 
Those churches were planted. The, the goal to plant churches in modern Turkey, which was the first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14, was done. The churches were established. And they went back to every one of them on the first journey. They went like a, a horseshoe and went back and put elders and leaders in charge of the churches. And then they returned to Antioch and shared the report. They had completed that. That's why in Romans 15, when he's wrapping up his third missionary journey, he says, now longer having a place in these parts, I'm headed to Jerusalem first, then Rome, and hopefully Spain. And when I've sealed this fruit, that's what we, that's how we refer to it, sealing the fruit. It's actually, Brandon is here tonight, Pastor Brandon. He was my assistant coach with the U.S. surf team for a couple of years. And we taught all the surf kids to seal the fruit. So all these kids say, you got to seal the fruit. You, like, you got to close the deal. You got to finish the job. So in surfing, sealing the fruit was finishing the last turn, particularly at Huntington. Like you do all this stuff, and you got to stick. It's like gymnastics. You got to stick your landing. So we use that term as a coach all the time, seal the fruit. Like we're not done until we're done, until we're on the podium and this contest is over. Like seal the fruit. And that comes from Paul the Apostle and the Holy Spirit in Romans 15. So when you seal the fruit, that means you've finished the job. That means you're done. That whatever that grand task was that you set out to do. Hey, if you went to YWAM, if you went, because we, we work with YWAM down in Chile with our good friend Nathan Anderson. These students would come in and what they did is they did like, well, they had a couple different programs, but one was like they did three months of academic training there in Pichilemu, Chile. So they took multiple classes, you know, basic new, introduction New Testament, biblical, major the, theological themes, stuff like that. And then the next three months, they'd go on a mission trip for like three months. Now, I remember one year they all went to Uruguay, you know, right through the Andes on the other side of Chile, and there you're Uruguay, and you do three months of ministry in Uruguay. Then they would come back, and it was done. Like you, you did three months of training, and then you did three months of sharing, and then you came back, and you sealed the fruit. Like that's, you sealed the fruit. So when we think about something grand, a grand task, a huge vision, whatever, in the end, and let's say I stuck with USA Olympic surfing, and I was still the USA Olympic coach. I'd be three years closer to 2028 in Los Angeles, but that whole vision, you know, so whether we got someone on the podium or not, or I'm just there going like, wow, 10 years of my life uh, for copper, you know, or for fifth, right? I mean, fourth and fifth are the worst in Olympics, right? They really are. But anyways, that would have sealed the fruit. So often with Athletes, they say there's their final season, right? When they're, you just know it's their final season. Or a coach says they're going to retire at the end of the season. They're transitioning to the new one. They're going to seal the fruit. That's what you do. You seal the fruit. So we start, we begin these great projects. We're comforted and strengthened by God's word practically and even supernaturally for the, uh, for the refreshing of our soul while we're grinding through that project. But there comes a time and a day where we actually, we finish it. We graduate. We're done. Now, I mentioned Strong and Strong's Concordance earlier, but another person I want to mention is Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. This is, what, this is the most amazing story, and some of you know elements of the story, but you may not know all of it. But the great missionary who really changed the world, Hudson Taylor from England, son of a, his dad was a pastor in a small village in England. He went to India and he just changed it all up. 
because missionaries look colonial back then. They look different than the Chinese or the natives or whatever. But he immediately put on Chinese garb, wore his hair like Chinese, and became one with the culture. He wanted to remove the Western elements of Jesus and really just get Jesus, Jesus of the Bible, to these people and not make him a Western Jesus. Way out of his time, because now, obviously, most worldwide missions do everything they can to not make Jesus a Western Jesus. Okay, so he's a hundred. 40 years ahead of his time. In fact, he was ostracized by most the missionary, established missionary organizations and communities because, like, they saw him as lowering himself to dress like Chinese and have his hair braided like Chinese and actually learn Chinese and speak Chinese and to go out and be among the Chinese. His vision was to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to millions of souls, because China's a billion people, and even then it was a lot, to hear the gospel for the first time. He had a vision of people dying and going to eternity having never heard of Jesus or his redemptive work. That's what moved him. That was his passion. So his goal was the Inland China Mission. That's Inland China Mission was the name of the ministry. And his goal was that there's a missionary station in every province of Inland China. Think about that. You have corporate people in America or in China who think how they can distribute products in every province of China and make money and make merchandise of people, consumers. This guy, 140 years ago, left every comfort of the Western world to be ostracized and have his life constantly threatened by the Chinese as well. He survived the Boxer Rebellion in 1901, 1902, when a lot of missionaries were killed. He buried children who died there in China. He buried his children in China. I'm not you, the Lord, that which cost me nothing, is what David said. But he came back to England, took a boat full of people on the ship, the Lemuel, if you know the story, and he brought a bunch of people back from England, raised up troops to reach every inland province of China. He was delegating, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, with Solomon people. In the end, his, his wife passed away, and in the end, when he stepped into eternity, it was like 1904, 1905, he had taken the gospel to every province of inland China. Every one of the established identified provinces. That's incredible. That, and not only that, but that ministry still exists under a different name now, still reaching people all over Asia with the gospel of Jesus Christ, particularly in the hard-to-reach countries of Asia. Isn't that amazing? He's been in eternity for 115 years, and his ministry is still going strong to reach the most unreached people in Asia on this day. That is incredible. But he had a start-stop for his entire life, burying his children, burying his wife, going back to England, bringing missionaries back, all the drama of those missionaries, and there was drama. In all of that, his vision never moved from one objective, a mission station, in every inland province of China where no missionaries had gone before and he succeeded before he stepped into eternity. How inspiring is that, WG, tonight? That is way big time. That's the real deal right there. And that that ministry was so strong and so spirit-led, 115 years later, it's still going strong with a bigger vision. Which brings us to the final thing. So seal the fruit, finish the job. What did Jesus say on the cross, by the way? It is finished. Yeah, there's a start-stop. The, the reason Jesus didn't live on planet Earth for 10 years after, from beginning of his ministry at 30 is because it was finished after three. It was fulfilled in three years. So what if we're like Jesus beginning our ministry and we have three years and then we're like, whoa, 
eternity. It's finished. What are we going to do? We're going to always do those things that please the Father. We're going to set our face like Flint toward Jerusalem. For this purpose I've come, to give my life? I hope so. I'm looking in the mirror. I see you, but I really see me in the mirror. Like, so I'm like, wow, Joey's talking. I'm like, talking to me. It always starts with me, the man in the mirror. We're all in this together. Which brings us to a rare fourth point tonight. In verse 51, after that, it says that when he had finished the work that Solomon brought in, the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings, he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And I think this is the kicker that really blesses me. Solomon set things up for the future for when after he was gone. And he set up the future for the next generation by what his father had given him from the previous generation. His father, David, as we know, stepped into eternity with all this wealth, and he gave it to his son Solomon to do the work of the Lord. We can never take it with us. And it always stays behind. And the question is, when the legacy of our life is done, will our total existence implode on our selfishness of who we are with nothing but maybe a few small relationships that had no bearing on eternity? Or... Will our life be like the grain of wheat that dies and brings forth a crop after we step into eternity? Will all that we sowed spiritually in other people, all that we sowed with our time and our energy and our resources, will all that continue to perpetuate after we're gone? Will the faith that we lived show itself in our children, in our children's children, in our children's children? Because a righteous man is an inheritance to his children's children, which is what Solomon said in the Proverbs. You see... It's not just one great task and we're done. It's the inspiration of a great task that inspires those who come after us for another great task or another great task around the corner for us because what Jesus, of course, taught is to him or her who has, more will be given. That famous Southern Baptist motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, said this, Set your goal as far as you can see, and by the time you get to an accomplishment, you'll see the next goal. And isn't that true? That is so true in life. Once you accomplish one great goal, and you've accomplished it, you realize, wow, I didn't know it was next, but it's clearly here. Once you have the temple built, you bring the wealth of the previous generation into the temple to maintain the temple and to expand the ministry. That's what you do. Now, if Solomon loses gold shields after he steps into eternity, which he did, and Rehoboam replaces them with bronze shields, which he did, that's their business. But Rehoboam's failures with the Lord, that's his own doing. You can't blame daddy for that one. Because when Solomon was in eternity and Rehoboam became king, he asked the counsel of Solomon's counselors what to do, and they gave him good counsel that would have set him in a good way toward gold shields, if you will. Because Solomon had built those gold war shields and they were like a testimony of God's glory and his blessing upon them. But Rehoboam took bad counsel and in the end it cost him everything. He didn't serve the Lord. He fought the Lord. He was evil. And that's not his daddy's fault. That's his fault. And he ended up with bronze shields that he locked in the safe every night when he went to bed. But you know, the kingdom can get better and can get stronger. Would we say that Billy Graham's fruit and all they ever did has decreased since he stepped into eternity? Or would we say it increased? Wouldn't we say it increased? Anne Graham Lotz? Franklin Graham? 
Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child. You see, we can go from glory to glory. If it's not going from glory to glory after we're in eternity, it shouldn't be because we didn't have a vision for it and didn't set up people to run with it. So as we think about if we had three years or five years or 30 years, whatever we have, with our faith, with our time and our energy, we want all this to be on display in our actions that we have a vision for an expanding kingdom and that we truly see that. So it's not just to arrive at the completion of one great task and say, well, I've arrived, now let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But I've arrived and I've learned so much to get here and now look where the next thing is where I'm going. Like the Bible says, we're going from glory to glory. And you see, if you've been entrusted with one great task and you complete it, then you can be entrusted with other great tasks and just keep going forward. By the time Pastor Chuck stepped into eternity from Calvary Coast to Mesa, you think what God entrusted him with. A little church on sunflower, then a tent on a piece of land, then the property, then the Logos building, the Karis building, Twin Peaks, Marietta, Green Valley, Brazil, Vita, which of course housed all the refugees from Ukraine just a few months ago. I mean, like, it goes from glory to glory. Like, that's what we want. So we want to think about being up for the grand task. And, and what it is, and asking God for the vision and being willing to go for it, that we're willing to begin, the, first of all, get, to get the dream, to catch the objective, catch the goal, what it is, and really let the Lord confirm it. And then let him build the plan and show us the, the roadmap, at least the most basic thing, the next thing, and to get started. And let him strengthen us through it to not walk away, to, to, to see it through and finish the project, no matter how arduous or difficult it is, to see it through and complete it to finish that project, and in so doing, pass on a future, a future legacy for the next generation. That's what's so amazing to me about this last verse, is he received this from his dad, but it belongs to the Lord, and it's in the temple, and it's there for when he's gone. It's there for the next generation. That's why he would say in Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, hey, when you wake up in the morning, don't say the wind's blowing the wrong direction or it's going to rain. Say, hey, Let's cast our bread upon many waters, for you don't know from which end it's going to return. That's what he said at the end of his life. And to seek the Lord in your youth and fear God, and that's the beginning of wisdom, and to obey his commandments. That's the whole matter of it all. That's not that hard, is it? So I encourage us tonight to think about that grand task that maybe you're in right now with the Lord. Not to be discouraged in it, but to take strength in the Lord. Or that grand task that he keeps putting on your heart that you just can't shake. Because he's going to give it. He's going to reaffirm it. But to him or her who has, he gives more. So if we reject it, and we, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we got to come to him with faith. And we got to receive those visions with faith. And we got to grab it by faith and then let him confirm it by his spirit. Because you know, Again, this future ending when we're gone and what's left behind us and there's more treasure in the temple than when it started. Jesus himself said, to him who has, more will be given. But what, one of the most amazing things he said in the end of his earthly ministry is, greater things you'll do than I did. You ever think about that for the church? Like he, he said, you'll do greater things than I did. And he gave us the great commission. And people like Hudson Taylor, they're all in with their entire life. And I'm not, I definitely have not been all in with my life, but I figure, you know what, I don't have much left, so 
Might as well be all in right now, huh? It's kind of like if you're in the game, just all right, here you go. I mean, till you, till you, that's it. You know, finish strong. Because one thing for sure we see in the Bible is most people don't finish strong. So that's an encouragement to us to finish strong, even the human experience. Jesus has promised greater things. So even as he stepped into eternity, he said, it's better for you that I leave and I send the spirit and he'll guide you. He'll bring remembrance and he'll equip you for all these things. So as far as I'm concerned tonight, it is a, a, a glorious vision in front of us. It is an expanding kingdom. God's given us a future and a hope. His thoughts for us are not evil, but a future and a hope, thoughts of peace and to prosper us. And as I said last week, he promises us peace, protection, and prosperity to be fruitful. And that's what we want to be. Get a big vision. Ask the Lord for a big vision and ask for him to strengthen your faith for an even greater vision than the ones you came in here with tonight. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.